Thanks for listening to our Legacy Church podcast. We hope that today's message helps you in your walk with Christ and you visit us soon at our Legacy Church campus in East Greenwich, Rhode Island. For more information, visit us online at www.legacychurchri.com. I want to start a series on life after death. And some of you might say, you know, this is kind of a a morbid topic, (laughs) but it really isn't. Because there's no death for the Christian believer. Amen? And we celebrated life last week, resurrection life of Jesus Christ. But guess what? He opened the gates for you and I to also have resurrection life. And I think this topic is very, very important. It's, it, we need to understand what happens to us as Christians. And I'm reminded of um, a semi-true story. And I say semi-true story because this actually happened almost to somebody that I know. And, um, and, this, and this guy goes to work one day, and he goes up to his boss, and he says to his boss, Hey, boss, I need to leave early. My grandmother died. And so he leaves early, and the next day he comes in, and the boss goes up to him and says, Hey, um, do you believe in life after death? And his employee said, Yes, of course I do. And the boss said, that explains it, because after you left early yesterday, your grandmother came in and brought you lunch. <laughs> and that's, a, that actually almost happened. Not quite, but, but similar to somebody I know. So be wise when you ask your boss to leave early, okay? But I wanted to, to talk about life after death today. And, um, and give you some reasons why I think it's important that we truly understand and think about this topic. The first thing I want to say is the whole Bible is about life after death. All of Scripture is about what is actually happening beyond the veil or behind the veil of what we see. The whole Bible points to a life that exists beyond this earth. And it's something that we all have in common. Isn't it true? We are all going to die. And I know some of you older ones have probably prayed the prayer that that I've been praying lately. (laughs) Lord, I pray that if you're going to take me, take me in my sleep. Come on, being honest, anyone pray that? Clap. Okay, one person. <laughs> because none of us want to suffer. You know, and, uh, you know, someone once said that they want to go peacefully like their, their grandfather in his sleep and not like the screaming passengers in his car. But God wants us to understand... <laughs> That there is life after death, and we're all going to experience it. And it's important that we have an understanding of what actually happens. And I believe that over the next few weeks that, that people are going to be enlightened. You're going to be enlightened in this room as to what the Bible actually says. Because another reason that we, it's important to, to discuss this topic is because I truly believe that 
as we view death or how we view death will affect how you live. How you see death affects how you live. And that's why I, I also believe that people who have had near-death experiences, their whole life changes. All their priorities change. Because they're seeing that this life isn't the end all. They're seeing that something is going to happen beyond the veil of earth that's way more important than our few years on this earth. You know, the Bible says in Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, see, what you place your value in, there your heart will be also. So as you contemplate that no life is guaranteed to any person, as you contemplate that there is death that will be experienced by you and by me, you start thinking that maybe there's some things that I need to change in my life. And I'm praying that as, as we discuss the truths of the Bible, that we evaluate our lives and that we maybe make some adjustments in our thinking and how we live our lives. In 1 Timothy 4.8, it says, Physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life that is to come. See, this scripture is saying that, yep, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's important to take care of yourself. But it's way more important to take care of your spiritual self. Because your spiritual self continues on. Your body will disintegrate and go into ashes. So I think it's more, maybe it's, it, it, it behooves us to spend a little bit less time thinking about dieting and a little bit more time thinking about reading the Bible. To me, that's good news. Amen? <laughs> because life after death is a serious topic that we need to consider. Another reason why I believe it's important that we discuss this topic, life after death, is to set us free from the lives of the, lies of the world and from false religions. You know, unless you're taught the Bible, you come in to God or come into church like this with all kinds of cockamamie ideas, all kinds of false doctrines and false religions. You know, someone's just telling me, Pastor Ryan, you know, someone I was talking to in church, um, you know, they believe that, that we're reincarnated. You know, is, are Christians reincarnated? Well, we're going to discuss that a little bit. We need to learn what the truths are of the Bible because the truth sets us free. You know, I remember when I was growing up, um, I was kind of a quasi-Beatles fan. Anyone love the Beatles? Even young people like the Beatles these days, you know? But amazing, amazing band, one of a kind. Some of the greatest songs ever written were written by the Beatles. But during my years in high school, uh, the Beatles made Transcendental Meditation very, very popular because they got into Eastern mysticism and so forth, and they started following the Maharishi Yogi, Mahesh Yogi. And, um, and so obviously, you know, they were, they were a one-of-a-kind band. They had taken the world by storm. And so Transcendental Meditation started getting into our school systems. I remember being called to the principal's office, probably for something I didn't do. 
and I was lined up with all the kids that had to go see the principal. And I remember the guidance counselor coming out and talking to us about meditation. This is school. This is back in the day. And talking about trans meditation. You know, this, we should meditate, you know, give us greater peace in our lives and so forth. And this thing just kind of just took over that generation, transcendental meditation. And we would sing, you know, uh, I don't know how many of you know the song, My Sweet Lord. Okay? And I remember singing that. And at the end, there's a mantra. And I was literally worshiping a Hindu god. And so we got a whole country worshiping and singing to a Hindu god in deception because of lack of knowledge. And the Bible says, for lack of knowledge, my people perish. So it's important that we understand what does the Bible say about different things. What does the Bible say about, the, I think the most important topic is life after death. What's going to happen to you? What's going to happen to me? And another reason I believe this topic is important is that I, I know myself that as I have revelation as the truth, like the truth that God loves you. We sang that song, God loves you. See, you can say all, all day long, oh, yeah, I, I know God loves me. But when you have a rhema, when you have a revelation, when the Holy Spirit touches you and says, I do love you, I do love you, I do love you. You know, I remember one night I was in my bed and um, I was reading scripture. And I, I forgot what passage of scripture, but I felt the Holy Spirit grab my heart and he said, Ron, I love you. And I started weeping all by myself with my Bible in my hand because I, the Holy Spirit revealed the, the truth of that word. I love you. And I started weeping. And I remember going to, to church that, that Sunday and I was telling everybody, God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. And they're like, What's wrong with this guy? Of course God loves me. But when you get a revelation, when the Holy Spirit reveals something to you, it changes everything. And that's why I pray we get a revelation that there is life after death, that what we do matters to our eternal salvation. It's so, so important. So when we die... Um, Something incredible happens to us, and we're going to learn about that. We're going to learn about that, what actually happens. But I pray that even as we discuss, you know, what happens, what happens to believers, what happens to unbelievers, um, I believe that some, some people in the church, you need to be, to be shocked. You need to be scared straight, scared out of sin, awakened. What you do is too important to mess around with. You need to get set free from some things. Because there is life after death. You know, there's this program called Scared Straight. And it's about, they take these, these juvenile delinquents and they bring them into prison to meet hardened criminals. And they tell these hardened criminals, listen, you need to scare these kids straight so they don't end up like you here in prison. Well, sometimes when we talk about this, this topic, life after death, 
You know, it scares us straight. Isn't that true? It awakens us. I need to change some things here. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs 9, 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Luke 12, 4 through 5, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him, fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Fear him. A significant scripture that many times we don't like to talk about, you know. Um, but it's significant because God is saying, listen, there is life after death. It's a, it's a real thing, and we really need to consider it seriously. I want to tell you a story that, that impacted my personal life dramatically and, and kind of shook me to the core. Well, I was, I was a Christian. I was in ministry, but shook me to the core and really did something significant in me and my spirituality, my spiritual being. Many years ago, there was a revival uh, in Florida, in Brownsville, Florida, and uh, we went to a church down there, uh, my wife and I, along with Pastor Steve and Pastor Nancy, and to, to see what was going on, what God was doing, and it was a powerful move of the Holy Spirit. And you'd go to this church in Brownsville, uh, Brownsville Assembly of God, I, think, I believe it was, and there would be lines waiting to get in the church. Like you had to get there at 5 in the morning to get into church at 7 at night. And that building held thousands of people. And in that line were prostitutes, were heroin addicts, were all kinds of people. People slept in tents to get into this building because the presence of God's holiness was so strong that it scared you straight. Heroin addicts delivered. Prostitutes came out of prostitutes. It truly was a move of God. And people started flying there from all over the world. And so we went down there. And, um, and it's interesting because being... You know, we, we're kind of wise, and so we figured out how to get into the building through the back door. And then we repented. <laughs> so we can get in. But um, Lord, forgive us. Still convicted over that. But we got in. And so, so at the end of the service, and when there was an altar call, people literally ran to the altar. When you sat in this building... Without anyone saying a word, you felt the holiness of God's presence to the point where you, you, you kind of, there's a little fear on you because the presence of God was so strong. And I remember sitting there thinking, Lord, am I even saved? Am I saved, God? That's how intense the presence of God was. And so, you know, the altar call, people would run up to the altar, hundreds upon hundreds of people every night. And so at the end, and we would just stay to the very end. The, the church would clear out, and we would still be sitting there, just bathing in the presence of the Lord. And so my wife and I were sitting there one night, and this couple comes up to us. And I told this story before, I believe. This couple comes up to us as we're sitting there, and they ask us, you know, are you from the church? And we said, no, we're visiting. And so we started talking, and, um, and, and so in our conversation, I said to this guy, he's a little guy, both this big, and he was married to a little uh, Korean woman. And they were in their, about in their 50s. And I said to him, so um, 
how'd you get saved? How'd you come to know Jesus? And he went completely silent. And I'm like, uh-oh, did I say something wrong? Went completely silent. And, uh, and, I, said, and I looked at him, I said, um, you know, did I say something wrong? And he said, no, he said, you know, it's hard for me to talk about it. Thinking, hard for me to talk about it, about a salvation, a testimony? And so he went silent. I didn't say anything else. And then he turns to me and says, you know, I, I, I feel that God wants me to tell you what happened to me. And so he goes on to say, my wife and my daughter were followers of Jesus. They're very involved in church. And I was an atheist. God was my money. I owned the business. I owned houses. I owned boats. God was my money. I worshiped, I mean, money was my God. And, and I worshiped money. That's all that mattered to me. I didn't want to have anything to do with this Jesus stuff, this Christianity stuff. And he said, I had a heart attack and I died. I had a massive heart attack and I died. And they brought me back. They worked on, on me for over a half hour and they brought me back and I was in a coma in the hospital for four months. And they didn't think I would make it. And so when he said that, I asked him the question, because I was interested in this whole sphere of being in a coma and this something happened when you're in this place. And I asked him the question, did you have any type of experience, spiritual experience? When I asked him this question, his face started contorting. Tears started flowing in his eyes like he was in excruciating pain. And, and I tell you, I got the shivers down my spine. And, uh, and he said, yes, I did. And he said, when he had that heart attack, he immediately went into this place. And it was a place, he said, I felt like I was a block of ice. And there was absolutely nothing. Just hopelessness. And I kept hearing that you will never, ever leave this place. No one knew where he, he says, no one knew where I was. And he says, all of a sudden, demons came, and they grabbed me, and they drilled a bolt in my head, in my skull, and they attached the chain, and they pulled me from place to place, and they abused me. They abused me. It, sexually, they abused him in his mind. And he said, the worst thing, I said, did you feel pain? He said, I felt excruciating pain. But he said, but the worst thing was, I kept hearing, this will never end. No one knows you're here. This will never end. Never, ever end. And I tell you, he's told me that. And, and I, I was, everything inside of me was saying, I need to get closer to God. I need to get close to God. And I said, so what happened? He says, all of a sudden, and he said, during this time, his wife and his daughter had set up prayer vigils, and they would pray around the clock for him as he was in a coma for four months. And people would go to hospital and pray for him, and his wife and his daughter would go every day and pray over him and ask God, God, give us grace. Give him grace. We ask for your mercy. We ask for your grace. And he said, this is four months later now. He said, all of a sudden, I hear 
voices saying, where is he? Where is he? Where is he? And the demons were pulling him and trying to hide him. And they would respond, He's, there's no one here. There's no one here. There's no one here. And then, then he would hear these voices say, we know he's here. We know he's here. And all of a sudden, he sees these, these hands come and grab him. And he wakes up from this coma. And his wife and his daughter are kneeling by his bed, praying for him. And he comes out of this coma. He said, I sold everything I had. Nothing mattered anymore to me. I sold everything I had. And he said, he, he said I, he, I, thought, I thought he says I'm like 56 years old or something like that. He says, I'm in my 50s. And um, we sold everything we had. We heard about this revival. And I, I'm in Bible school. He said, can you believe it, how old I am? And I'm in Bible school. Let me tell you. <clears throat> when God touches you, your life changes. And so I felt the need to tell that story. But um, over, these, over this series and hopefully the next few weeks, uh, I want to talk about certain topics. And I want to encourage you to take notes, to listen to the podcast, and to get this into your spirit, because I believe God wants us to grow closer to him and have a greater understanding of what happens to us when we leave this earth. First thing I want to talk about is I want to talk about the belief systems concerning death. Because everyone has belief systems. I want to talk about what the Bible actually says happens to your body and your spirit when you die. I want to discuss the whole essence of judgment. Is there a judgment? Will there be a judgment? Will there be a judgment for Christians? Is it different than unbelievers? And then I want to talk about the fun topic of heaven and hell. And, and we're going to really learn what are the truths concerning these places, heaven and hell. So everybody believes something. There's, there's not one person on the earth that doesn't have a belief system. Okay? One of the belief systems is that you die and you return to the ground and you're just nothing but a piece of dirt. There's no reason for your life. You just happen to be here. Everything's by chance. Everything's by chance, including your life. You die, and you become part of this rug. That's it. You're a speck. You're dead. You're gone. See you later. Now, I remember I had an uncle that would tell me, growing up as a kid, you know, when we die, we're just going to go in the dirt. He'd say it in Italian. We're going to become dirt. We become dirt. And what was interesting is he'd always say that and, um, and think, oh, there's no heaven, there's no hell, we're going to become dirt. But every time he would drive by a church, he would make the sign across. <laughs> At least a hundred times. And I was saying, was he doing that as an insurance policy? Why make the sign across? if we're just going to become dirt. You know, a true story, an atheist went before a judge, and, um, and he brought up uh, this whole notion of he was being discriminated against, and he was trying to start a movement 
to stop any holiday that was a religious holiday. And so he goes before the judge and he says, you know, judge, it's not, it's not right, it's not fair, it's discrimination against me. There's Christian holidays, there's Jewish holidays, and there's no atheist holidays. This is a true story. And the judge turns to his attorney and says, um, you know, attorney, your client is in error. Says, there is an atheist holiday. It's called April Fool's. Because the Bible says, and he quoted the scripture, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Love that judge. <laughs> Others believe that we are incarnated. Buddhist, Hindus, that you're in a cycle of re reincarnation, that there's no personal God. You don't have a personal God. There's no one true God. In fact, in, in Hinduism, there's 33 million gods. You say, how does that be? That sounds like a fairy tale. How would anyone believe that? Well, the whole concept is that the universe, there's so many different aspects of the universe that it requires a god for every single thing. You need the sun to go up, you need a god for that. You need the moon to shine, you need a god for that. And so there's 33 million gods. And so... There's this whole thing, and it's kind of, you know, pretty prevalent in society these days, the whole belief system in reincarnation. How does it happen? It just happens. And the ultimate goal of reincarnation is what's called nirvana, which is you want to get to a state of nothingness. Because reincarnation is you're being reincarnated to get into a better state, which is karma, which means that if I do good in this life, being reincarnated into this life, and I add up all the goodness that I've done in past lives, hopefully I get to a point where I don't have to be born again. I don't have to be born anymore. I'm at peace. I don't have to struggle through the suffering of life. That's what this whole theory of reincarnation or, or belief in reincarnation is that the, the, the better I become, the more good I am as a person, I will ultimately live life and not have to live it anymore and experience suffering. Reincarnation. The problem with that is who decides and defines your goodness? You? It was up to you and up to me and say, I don't want to suffer anymore. Let me see. Let me get my goodness notebook out. Okay, I think I'm done. I'm not re being reincarnated anymore. I was good. That's it. Who defines it? Who controls it? It's all by chance. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe one of 33 million gods? But the Bible says in Hebrews 9.27... People who are destined to die once, people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. The Bible says there's no such thing as reincarnation. The Bible says you are destined to die once and after that face judgment. The Bible also says in 2 Corinthians 5.8, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. 
The Bible completely contradicts the whole notion of reincarnation. Islam believes that there is one God, his name is Allah, and he sent the prophets. We're getting closer now. He sent the prophets, Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, and Jesus, and he ultimately sent the prophet Muhammad. And Muhammad is the only one to be worshipped. Islam denies that Jesus died on the cross, even though it's, it's historical, historically proven. Islam said, no, it doesn't matter. He, he didn't die on the cross, and Jesus is not God. But they do believe in a paradise and hell, and people will be judged by their faith in, in Allah and their worship of Muhammad and by their goodness, their good deeds. And if you martyr yourself for Islam, there is an added reward of 72 virgins, if you haven't heard about that. Here's the problem with Islam. Muhammad is a person, and he's dead. There's a worship of a dead man. Jesus is worshiping someone who has risen. We worship a living God, not a dead person, a dead religion. And the other problem is in the book of Romans 3, 10 through 12, no one is righteous, the Bible says. No one, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Your goodness is as filthy rags to God, the Bible says. So we all have a problem if you can somehow earn your way into heaven because the Bible says there's no one that's good. How many in here in this room, using common sense, can say, I've never sinned, I've never done the wrong thing, I've never spoke harshly about somebody, I am a good, good person. I am so good, I am perfect, that God should see me and let me into this perfect place called heaven. I should be able to go to heaven because I am sinless. Heaven is a sinless place. The only way you can get in is if you don't have any sins. Anyone not have any sins, would you please stand up? <laughs> and the other problem is Jesus said this, I am the way. He didn't say Buddha was the way. He didn't say Muhammad was the way. He didn't say Hare Krishna was the way. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Those are the words of Christ. And so the whole essence of the gospel is that Jesus, you say you're the way, or anybody who says they're the way, prove it. The evidence was what we celebrated last week. Resurrection. No one has ever risen from the grave except Jesus Christ. There's no religion on the earth, no belief system on the earth that has as much evidence as scriptural evidence in Christianity and the words of Jesus Christ and the actions of Jesus Christ and all those that died following him. The evidence is, is, is so uh, powerful to show that there has to be significance in what the words of Jesus are, the teachings of Jesus, and the teachings of the, the Bible. And that's what we're going to get into. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening today. We pray you are blessed by our Legacy Church podcast and hope to see you soon at our church service in East Greenwich, Rhode Island. You can connect with us on any social media platform at Legacy Church RI. Have a blessed week.